We are going to look at a familiar passage this morning and, and think about it in, in terms of us at New Hope, of the, the place where we are um, pursuing a vision that we've just uh, unfolded. And, and so we're going to be opening up the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, verses 26. I'll actually start at 25, which may not be on the board. Uh, 25 through 37. Listen now to the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repair you, repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide us as we consider your word and also consider its challenge to us, to who we are and what we do. Guide my words, guide all of our thoughts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year. This is the first Sunday of the year. It feels like we've been in 2024 uh, for a while now. I'm already getting used to writing that down, 2024, uh, even though it seems futuristic. But here we are. I, I was listening to a podcast of, of some who were ambivalent about New Year's resolutions. And, you know, I, I think like a lot of us, they, they see them as kind of a, a setup for failure and, and disappointment. I mean, how long can we keep them going? Rather, they, they proposed having New Year's themes. 
It's, it's not a straight bar. It's just a theme of this is what we're going to be about this year. For where we are at as a church, I, I, I suppose our theme this year is going to be stepping into a new season of ministry at New Hope. After pausing to take stock and consider where God is leading us, this is a year of seeking new pastoral leadership and stepping into our new vision. And, and we start the new year focusing on, on taking steps into our new vision, and we start always by, by keeping that vision in front of us and always thinking about it. Remember the vision. The, the focus, number one, is always on the gospel. It's about the gospel. The last point of the vision of the four points that we have, the last point is that we have to grow in Christ together through intentional relationships, particularly reaching across generational lines in those relationships. But the middle two points, the, the, the second point is, is evangelism. I, I've already talked a couple of times about it, that we would all be equipped to share the gospel of Christ with anyone with whom we're having a conversation. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in future weeks. But the third point, which we will focus on today, highlights very simply utilizing our building and reaching out to the neighborhood. It is very simply about being a good neighbor. This is about sharing the gospel, not just in word, but in deed. Theme-wise, i got to say, I see this as a year of being a good neighbor. Gospel neighbors. I'm, I am absolutely excited about next week in our joint service with Living Stream Church, the Ukrainian church with whose ministry we host in this building, it, it's one of the ways God has provided for us to be good neighbors right here in our neighborhood. And our vision statement highlights how we can use our building to reach the neighborhood, but all these vision statements are about how we can highlight something that we can do together because, because we know it's something we each need to be equipped to do on our own as well. It's the forms of ministry most needed for our time and our place. And so we do them together so that we can do them individually as well. I, I, I always like to, to step back and take a look at the big picture. And one of the ways I pursue that is by listening to both Christian and, and secular people who are talking about the big trends in our world. And one of my favorites is a pastor named Mark Sayers in Australia, who have I mentioned before, and he has a podcast called Rebuilders that I highly re recommend to you. In one of his most recent podcasts, he speaks of how we're moving from an age, an age of anxiety to an age of anger. And you can see it in the wars and in the, the, the fracturing of previous alliances in frustration and fear. But I like his podcast because while he's clear about the challenges of our world, he always sees God working 
in this world as well. The good news working through it all. And right now, what would really stand out in our world is to just be some good neighbors. Where people and groups are operating in fear and anger, we can operate across every division in gospel-driven love. Delve, to delve further into it, let, let's think about this passage that we just read at the Good Samaritan. The passage begins with a lawyer trying to trick and to expose Jesus by asking him a question. And as a good lawyer, he's asking Jesus to define the boundaries of the law, thinking that it's going to get Jesus in trouble. Turns out, Jesus is smarter than he is and better at the law. And he sees the man looking for the minimum. The lawyer is like that, that student in class who's always raising his hand and asking the teacher, just, just tell us what's going to be on the test. That's all I want to know. Keller, in a sermon on this passage, notes four aspects to Jesus' answer. And that will take us all the way to thinking about what it means to be good neighbors here at New Hope. We learn in this passage the mandate to be neighbors. We see the magnitude of neighboring. We find the motivation to being these kinds of neighbors. And we learn even some things about the method of neighboring. First of all, Jesus makes clear the mandate to be neighbors. He's not saying being good neighbors is a means of salvation, but it is a reflection of it. As such, the only boundaries to, to neighboring are of the salvation we have experienced ourselves. What are the boundaries to salvation in Jesus? Did you have to be Jewish or circumcised? Did you have to be perfect or even good for Jesus to love you and save you? The first nine chapters of the Gospel of Luke are all about who Jesus is. This is right in the beginning of the next section, the, uh, the part, and, and this is at the beginning of the next nine chapters that are about what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we go from earlier in chapter 10, charging believers to share the word of God with the world, to this part of the chapter challenging us to share the gospel with our deeds our acts of love. And we do it so dramatically as neighbors that, that people will have to know why. Why do you care? Even when we have no other connection other than geography. Keller puts it this way. Jesus is saying, I want you to look out there and look at people you ordinarily despise. I want you to look out there and see people who don't believe what you believe, and I want you to meet their needs with such concreteness and such sacrificial love that it'll astonish people. That's why we're calling it gospel neighboring. 
What is gospel neighboring? To meet the concrete needs, the human needs of all the people around you, whether they believe like you do or not, with such costliness and such sacrifice that people will need to hear the gospel just to try to make some sense out of your life because you are so inexplicable. This passage gives us the mandate to being good neighbors. But it also is about the magnitude of neighboring. Keller notices how we try to limit the neighboring in this passage by trying to limit who, when, and how much we neighbor. That's what the lawyer is trying to do, to set those limits by his question. Clearly in this passage, Jesus is saying there is no limit to who is our neighbor. Our neighbor is anyone in need. Jesus provides a picture of two people representing groups of people who have been oppressing each other for centuries. And it's not hard to find equivalent groups in today's world abroad or, frankly, at home. Surely that ought to justify the limit to being a neighbor but not to Jesus. We look for limits on when we'll be neighbors. In Jesus' story, this incident happens on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. The lawyer would understand this. It's a hilly descent from about 3,000 feet above sea level to below sea level through the mountains with caves and hiding places. And, and More than that, it's filled with bandits and and predators, so much so that one, one stretch was called the Pass of Blood. Anyone stopping to help a dying victim there is likely to become one themselves. It's a bad place and time to help anyone. This gets to the limit of how much do we give in providing for the neighbors. This Samaritan does everything he can to provide for the immediate needs of his neighbor. It seems limitless. He pulls out money. He provides for transportation, healthcare, and lodging. And I'm sure he has some kind, encouraging words along the way. The magnitude of neighboring Jesus calls us to is extraordinary. It's not just about giving sacrificially. We risk ourselves in, in, in putting ourselves in the other's position by our care. It all begs the question, who would ever do this sort of thing? Who would ever be this kind of neighbor? And what would give us the power to do that, to be that kind of neighbor to anyone, much less someone whom we have no other connection to? Motivation. That's the next thing. There are, there are two different motivators for this kind of action, this kind of sacrificial giving of ourselves to others. The, the, first, the first motivator is morality. It's the right thing to do. And that can be a secular motivation because you're civic-minded, taught by your worldview to care for the poor and the needy. Or it can be a religious motivation. We do it because the Bible, the Torah, the Quran tells us to do it. All of these can simply very easily be the motivation of guilt. The thing is, that motivation only gets you so far. 
You can see it in the priest and the Levite who pass by the victim. It was their job to care. But this when and this how much, that's, that's a step too far for them. They give the victim a look and they keep moving on. Morality only gets you so far. Guilt is not the motivator Jesus is pointing to here. He's not trying to make the lawyer asking the question of him feel guilty. Think about it. If the roles were reversed in the story, and it, it was a Samaritan who was the victim, and the lawyer was walking by, there would be no questions. The lawyer would see it as fully justifiable to pass right by the Samaritan. But in this story, the lawyer is the victim. Here's the motivation to be a good neighbor. You have been helped in the same way. Jesus is the one telling the story, calling us to be like the Samaritan, good gospel neighbors, because he's stopped as he passed by us. We, sinners, were his natural enemy. He did not just take on the risk of stopping by us, for us. He paid the cost, becoming like us, dying for, and dying for it, for us. Now, all of us, we know the benefit of life through his sacrifice for us, grace and forgiveness, the hope of resurrection by knowing his death and his resurrection. And that includes all the transportation and health care, physical, emotional, and companionship needs we will ever have being met all at great cost to himself. It's why we can confident, he can confidently teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The person who has the motivation to be this kind of neighbor is the one who has been neighbored to this way. And by that, and by that has everything we need to be a good neighbor. We know the source of all the resources and the hope and the certainty of life. We can give the gospel indeed because we've been given the gospel in word and deed. Keller puts it this way, only when you see the true neighbor and what he has done for you will you become a true neighbor for others. And that gets to the final insight, the method. How? How can we become good neighbors? What did it look like in this passage and what does that mean for us? There's a, a couple of things Keller noticed in this passage, and we can consider how they work themselves out in, in our context. First, we have to think about people and come into contact with people. The priest and the Levite, they both saw the victim, but passed right on by. They didn't give him a second thought. 
and they crossed the road so that they wouldn't come into contact with him. The, the Samaritan not only saw him, but gave a second thought, thought about what his needs must be, and used that wonderful word to express that, had compassion on him. And then, and then he came into contact with him. Our, our vision team did some work on thinking about our neighborhood. We looked at demographic studies and we reached out to mayors and principals of schools and other civic leaders to begin to think about the needs surrounding us and surrounding our church. We live in the suburbs. And by definition, we are organized architecturally and in many other ways to isolate ourselves from each other's needs. And so it takes work to think about our neighbors and their needs. And it takes even more work to come into contact with them. And, and we've worked to do that across natural boundaries as we've hosted churches and groups that, that speak other languages in our building. We've hosted, this summer, we hosted a, a great event to provide fun and, and school resources to families in the neighborhood. And we'll continue to look for ways to come into contact with our neighbors and care for their needs. Ways that we are called to and equipped for. Some of us on the vision team read a little book called The Art of Neighboring by Pathak and Runyon. And it had strategies for connecting with neighbors. Little things like making a map of the homes around you and the neighbors on the streets around yours. And you can even give that, nap, that map to your neighbors. And look for any opportunity to sensitively reach out toward the needs that you see and just help. Invite people over for a barbecue probably not this time of year, but a barbecue, or, or get together a few people to put, to put on a neighborhood block party. All of this is just to connect and get to know each other. And all of it begins with thinking about your neighbors and having contact with them. Keller puts his next point together like this. We have to reweave the message and the neighboring. The gospel message where we say to people, please believe this, and the gospel neighboring where we say, I'm going to love you whether you believe it or not. That's the, that's the picture of what the Samaritan did. And throughout history, when the, the weave of this message and this love come together, that's when the gospel has spread through places. Emperor Julian of Rome wrote a letter upset that Christianity was spreading while paganism was, was shrinking. And he noticed in the letter that, that Greeks take care of the Greek poor and needy and Romans take care of the Roman poor and needy. But Christians, they just take care of anyone. And he stated that no one in the history of the world has been like that before them. And, that, and he's right. 
Words and deeds come together in our care for others without any strings attached. That's the kind of love we've had in Jesus. And that's when people open up to the gospel of Jesus. May this be a year of good neighboring, where together as a church and each of us in our homes and neighborhoods are thinking about the needs of our neighbors and looking for ways to connect with them and sharing with them the love of Christ in word and deed as good neighbors. Let's pray. Lord, I can't imagine how that lawyer must have felt at the end of hearing Jesus' story and being challenged to, to proclaim who the good neighbor was. Lord, we've been Samaritans to you in, in opposition. May we be Samaritans to you in your kingdom and your beloved world in love. Lord, thank you for your word. May it penetrate our hearts and our lives, our words and our actions in love. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.